Hi, and welcome to another episode of Mind Your Peas podcast with your host, me, Caroline McKenna. On this podcast, we chat to business leaders to find out which peas are important to them. Is it purpose, people, planet, philanthropy, even pizza or Prosecco? So we're talking about peas to Martin Mason, CEO and founder of Unleashed, a recruitment consultancy and talent management business doing incredible work in the diversity, equity and inclusion space. In this episode, Martin and I had a brilliant chat about some of the issues facing business leaders today within recruitment and HR. Some of those are conversations that many of us dance around like, what if I say the wrong thing to my team? How can I be sure that my team know my intentions are true? So if you want to hear what we chatted about, then please keep listening. Martin, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the Mind Your Peas podcast. Thanks for coming. How are you? Really good, thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. No, no problem. Well, listen, I'm going to dive right in and ask a really um, probing question, which is, is there anything that's happened in your childhood or past that shaped what you do today? Well, that's a deep question for a Tuesday. Um, (laughs) uh, Yes, I would say that there definitely has been. So um, it's not something I actually talk about deal but my I had quite a mixed childhood I would say in terms of um, I grew up in quite a small uh, town um, which was like an ex-mining community and so I'm an open gay man now and so growing up in that environment was actually quite challenging because I hadn't quite figured out who I was at that point in time and uh, we're still trying to navigate all of the you know all of the stuff you do as you're kind of going through your, your youth and your teenage years anyway, coupled with trying to navigate um, identity. And it wasn't a particularly accepting environment. So I think because of that, it's then helped me to have a greater level of empathy and probably shapes a great deal of the work that we do now about wanting people to feel part of something. Well, well th- thanks for sharing that, Martin, um, because, yeah, it's really important, particularly now, to understand. I think it's just really interesting to understand why you do what you do and what's driven you driven you to make that happen. Um, so what, what were some of the challenges and barriers that you faced? I would say um, some of it was just kind of a lack of understanding from people. And it was quite, uh, I suppose, like now we've got labels for some of these things that when I was growing up, you probably wouldn't have had, you know, you, you know, growing up, I wouldn't have heard things like toxic, toxic masculinity, for example, it would not have been a phrase that was banded around. But it's, it's things like that. There was definitely a, a culture of that in some of the workplaces that I worked in very early on. So there were, um, it was a bit like working back in the 1950s in terms of like some of the stereotypes around gender and uh, some of those experiences I hadn't moved on a great deal. And so I think just some of the comments, the, um, the environment, the culture of kind of the workplace, like coming into the workplace at that time w- wasn't particularly great. And so I think I, there was, a, um, I guess, a choice that kind of hit me at that point in time of you can either rail against these things or you can try and influence people's thinking and, and try and change hearts and minds. And um, that was probably where I went to more. I, I, I sought to help people understand different points of view and perspectives as to why they may or may not be misinformed. <laughs> <laughs> How did you do that, Martin? Um, I think 
We, we, we were talking about this actually within our team of the day. I think it's the whole kind of analogy if you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Of if you can try and help people to understand um, common common things that you might, you know, or things that you might have in common, um, common connections, uh, shared experiences, things that make you see that actually, you're, you know, there are things that there's, we have more in common as human beings than, than that that divides us. Um, and helping people to see that um, and kind of normalize um, different identities, that that kind of helped. Because, you you know, you'd, you'd, after a while, it would then be, yeah, but you're not like a normal gay, are you? And it'd be like, well what is a normal game? <laughs> you know, talk to me about what that looks like. Um, and so even just having some of those probably more jovial conversations and using humor as a way to enter into some of those conversations helped people feel a bit more relaxed and, and feel like they could share their perspectives and points of view and then were more receptive to having those views kind of back the more challenged. Um, it's the whole kind of seek to understand rather than to be understood. Martin, you're dipping in and out, and I'm not sure if it's you or I. Um, oh, sorry. Can you hear me now? That's it. You're back. You're back. It just it just cut off at that point. Um, that's okay. We'll we'll um, we'll pick up what we can and we'll we'll, we'll go from there. Um, so, Martin, I'm really interested then in in those people's views and how that's, I suppose, manifested itself into Unleashed. T- tell me a bit about that. Um, in a lot of the roles I've had previously, they've been very much about helping to create kind of cultures of inclusion to level the playing field in organizations and worked in kind of the, the good, the bad and the ugly in terms of organizations around around that work, learned a lot, um, had some phenomenal experiences in education from some really great people and some questionable people, but were, you know, nevertheless quite rewarding um, education points. And it got to a point where um, a mentor of mine kind of shared with me that now might be the right time for me to do that with multiple companies rather than staying in house to do it. I wrestled with it for a little while because obviously it's quite scary going out and setting up on your own and, and doing these things and taking the leap. But decided if I was trying to help other people be courageous, I couldn't, you know, be a hypocrite and not not walk the walk. So decided to take the plunge a couple of years ago, set up Unleashed, and I've never looked back. Well, it sounds fantastic, and, and like us, I think you started right at the right in the start of the pipe pandemic. We, we should we should meet up over some alcohol and discuss this further, Martin, about how how brave or courageous or crazy an idea that actually was. Um, but yeah, it looks like it's it looks like it's all going really well. Um, yeah, I can very much resonate with you. Know, starting at the beginning of a pandemic was uh, not without its challenges and being slightly eventful, but it has kind of been another good learning curve for us in terms of you know if you can if you can do it at a time like that, you can do it at any time. Yeah, and and so you work with some some really big names like NHS and Dunnell, Moto, Reed. So just tell it. Tell me a bit about what specifically you do. Is it about understanding skills gaps, succession planning? Is it about like d- looking for diversity on on in senior 
levels and boards? A bit of all of the above. So we've kind of, uh, it's taken us a while to really articulate what it is we do, because some of being really honest, some of this has kind of happened organically through some of the work that we've started doing with businesses, just originally just trying to help and support with them with where they were at right now. Um, but we've we've got kind of four areas that we, we specialize in as a business that we've helped different companies with. So we do consultancy work where we go in and support businesses to help understand where they're at now, how they can be more inclusive in their recruitment practices, in their talent practices, succession planning, all the stuff you just talked about there. Um, we do education programs. So we go in and help organizations understand how they can be more consciously inclusive and, you know, think about things like recruitment, meetings decision making how do you remove bias and barriers out of those um, everyday things that you do in companies that with good intent people just wouldn't know any any different um we've then got a community that we've established where we bring people together who are in the profession so they can share ideas and learn from each other um to help foster that you know continual learning and then we've developed some technology solutions that um specifically help with talent in terms of removing some of the barriers and the bias out of the talent process to again level the playing field it's been really exciting seeing that that stuff evolve because with some of the companies that you named there we've been some of those we've been working with now for 18 months 20 24 months coming up for with some of them and seeing the step change in those organizations where people are now breaking through glass ceilings and reaching where they should be from a potential point of view is just really exciting and what does the technology do martin is that about recruitment or like you know unconscious bias in recruitment or is it is it is it more than that So we've got two parts to it. So one is about identifying potential. Um, So we've got an assessment tool that we've worked with a team of occupational psychologists on to um, use a lot of external data across the globe to identify the attributes of high performers. And what we found through data is when we go through that process with people, that it it levels off the playing field from a, a diversity point of view because... It, it supports the argument that you can have a you know meritocratic recruitment process and the best person for the job um, should be appointed on their skills and potential rather than either their previous career history or um, because their face fits. So it's helped to remove some of those barriers there. And then the other piece of technology we've developed is around internal talent. So it's about identifying the people that you've got within your workforce and looking at them objectively. So again, what skills, what behaviors, abilities do they have? And what are the transferable skills that mean they could do a, a different job or be redefined within the organization? And through using both of those tools, some organizations to say, you've got some incredible and amazing talented people in your business that perhaps are underutilized or have been overlooked because they're not in your direct line of sight. And therefore, what about giving some of these people an opportunity in your business? Yeah, it sounds great. I, lo- I love the fact that you're using technology, but like us, we, we use our um, app that underpins all of the work that we do in terms of employee volunteering. Um, but diversity inclusion goes beyond the hiring process, doesn't it? And, and I suppose my question would be, what can business leaders do to make sure that they do have that culture of inclusion? I think there's kind of four key things we we tend to recommend to a lot of businesses and having done the, you know, this is stuff I've done when I've been in-house as well in terms of holding the mirror up to ourselves to make sure that we're um, 
you know, keeping ourselves honest and, and and supporting people from an equitable perspective. I think first of all, you've got to kind of hold that mirror up and, and do a bit of an audit exercise across the business to understand where some of the opportunities or the hidden or unintended barriers are that people might experience in your business. And it's much harder to do that when you're in a business than somebody with a fresh pair of eyes, you know, looking over the business and seeing where some of those barriers might be. Um, the second is around education. So um, making sure that people have got access to education around different identities, lived experiences, so that people can really gain perspective and empathy for what it might be like to um, walk in someone else's shoes. Um the third would be around using data. So making sure that you've got an accurate overview of your people, the talents, the skills, the abilities in there, rather than perhaps where we've seen in a lot of businesses in the past where they've perhaps made talent decisions based on who they know rather than looking at those more objective data points, I would say. Um, and then lastly is um, just removing any unintended barriers that might exist. So, you know, we see a lot of businesses with policies that perhaps are a bit outdated or, you know, old practices that they've got in the business that just haven't been revisited. And so even though it's not always explicitly said, when you speak to the people in organizations, they'll say, oh, we can't do that because it's not the norm here or the culture suggests that we shouldn't do that. And challenging some of those thoughts or views of historical um, perspectives or policies is often a good way to remove some of that. And if you, what, what examples can you can you give me of that, Martin? What, what would that look like? So um, a good example would be, you know, we've, we've just navigated through a pandemic um, in the last couple of years and we've shown, you know, the argument would have been two, three years ago that it was, you know, there was a lot of office-based roles out there or workplace roles that people would have said, you have to physically be in the office for five days a week in order to do this job. It's practically impossible to do it without that. But we've just managed to, as a society, you know, trade businesses and organizations without having to be in physical premises. So we found creative ways around it through the use of technology, through taking a flexible approach with people so they can balance their home commitments with their work commitments. And what we've seen as a society is that if you look at uh, Office for National Statistics, the productivity of the country's gone up, not down. So it shows you that if you focus on the outputs rather than the inputs, you can still achieve the right results, but you might do them in a different way. So even, you know, I've seen policies in organizations where it's like, if for this role, they have to be based in this site. And when we've then challenged that to say, well, what would what would happen if they weren't? <laughs> could you, is it conceivably possible that with a laptop or some technology, they could do this from a different place? And seeing some of those come to fruition has meant people have meant people perhaps with accessibility um, needs who couldn't get into certain premises all of a sudden are now eligible for a job. So it's things like that as an example. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I there's a, there's a bit of me thinking about the word fear, um, and you know the the the. EDI, you know, the Equity, Diversity, Inclusion Agenda uh, has always been there, but I, I don't know if you're finding this, Martin, but since the pandemic, it's even more so. And hybrid working is a great example of that. Um, how would you help someone? How would you help a leader that's scared about this, scared of saying the wrong thing, scared of doing the wrong thing? And how can they just get started, really? 
I think you've got to create some safe spaces for people to have conversations in the first instance. And that's one of the things that we found a lot is, you know, it's a vulnerable place to be in a leadership role in an organization because it's so you're so much more visible now than you would have been in a past life, I think, where and with the acceleration of social media, PR media, etc., missteps now are far more public than they used to be and and wide reaching so you've got a, a group of leaders that are terrified of saying the wrong thing for fear of you know reputational brand damage as well as their own personal reputation and the fear of upsetting somebody or, or saying or doing the wrong thing and at the end of the day we're all human and we're all fallible and we all learn and you know most people in our experience have got good intent but don't always do or say the right thing so you've got to create that space for people to have dialogue and learn and so creating spaces where you know individuals or leaders can have conversations either with somebody in or outside of their organization to say you know i genuinely don't know what to say in this scenario i've never had this before what do i do um i think is one of the reasons we founded the community we just found a lot of people that were in roles in organizations that were felt a bit stranded and said feel a bit on my own and i don't know how to navigate this situation and by connecting them with other people who do similar jobs to have a safe chat and you know maybe a coffee and say oh i've had the same problem myself and this is how i did it i think you just need to create some you know some spaces like that really yeah there was um we we were chatting the other day to some of our um business leaders and and one of them said you know for me it's intentionality the intention is always positive and i might get things wrong and by opening up and saying to the team that i'm vulnerable i've not got this nailed i will say the wrong things but my intention is is that that we want to be an inclusive and diverse organization is that is that enough to say that do you think ish with a caveat i would say so i think that's definitely an important step is having humility and say and vulnerability they're key attributes of good high performing leaders and there's a lot of data and science that supports that um, in terms of creating psychological safety for people I think doing that on its own over a prolonged period of time isn't enough. I think, you know, if people kept making constant missteps and say, oh, but my intent's good, it doesn't excuse it if it's a consistent negligent practice, for example. So I think doing that and then, you know, if you do make mistakes, which we all do, addressing it and making sure it doesn't happen again or creating a culture where people can step up and challenge um, you know, classic example, uh, you know, we, we try to practice what we preach in that space and we have really good, healthy dialogue in our team meetings. If somebody says something that's not quite right, we take the opportunity to try and educate each other on it and call each other in when we're saying something rather than, you know, um, explicitly calling somebody out in a room to say, I know you probably didn't mean that, but just FYI for next time that that might have implications with this audience or that might not be so well received with this group of people and then acknowledging that saying thank you for the feedback rather than being defensive i think those those behaviors combined with the humility make a big difference and i think some of the challenges that leaders don't necessarily know where to go to get this information so you know unleashed is obviously a, a brilliant organization that that supports that but as hr professionals as um corporate social responsibility let's just cover it all with that um professionals everything you know the the, the kind of i suppose the eye is being pointed on on these guys now and 
before it was always like a nice to have, you know, let's do a bit of corporate responsibility. Isn't that lovely? But now it's like seat at the top table, all eyes on you. How are you going to support us to to be, a you know, an EDI led organisation? And while you're at it, can you sort out net zero and sustainability? You know, there's there's all these sorts of things, isn't there? How, how would you help a professional like that prioritise what they need to do? I think that's the the word you use there is a key thing around prioritization. I think people, we particularly in the UK, there is a culture of wanting to people please. We've seen particularly in a lot of leaders or HR professionals. And so there's this innate desire to want to do good, which is wonderful. But it does then mean we see people burn out because they say yes to everything and can't deliver on all of it. So when we're doing work in that space we will tend to sit down with people and kind of workshop through or prioritize what are the you know what are the outputs that you're trying to achieve what are the options around achieving that and which of those is going to give you the best return on doing that because you can't do everything so you might have a shopping list of 30 things you want to do but it might be that five of those are going to achieve 80 percent of the results so let's focus on that and then you know prioritize the other things as and when And historically speaking, we found that people are pretty receptive to that as employees in organizations, as long as you've got a plan and you can stand to it and say, you know, we really appreciate your suggestion on that. We'd love to do it. We haven't got the bandwidth for it right now because we're focusing on these priorities. If you've got any other suggestions of how we can do that better, we're all ears, then people tend to be quite receptive of that, I found. And what what some do you are you seeing more and more people in the workplace? You know, we talk about the Great Resignation, and it's got all different variations of names. But what what are people saying? What what do they want? Are people demanding this of employers now that it, it's a more inclusive workforce? I would say so. I mean, it, it's one of many contributing factors. I think people are people are wanting to have their voices heard. And they are no longer prepared to look past certain things, I think. There would have been a time where, you know, if I think about when I was working in organisations kind of 20 years ago now, which is quite scary, um, I think there would have been like internal conversations within teams where you'd acknowledge things weren't right, but no one would necessarily speak up because it was more of a compliant culture of, you know, don't put your your head too high and... um, you know, just just go with the flow. Now I think people are, particularly we're seeing the next generation that's entering the workplace who are far more um, values-driven, more activist in their approach and saying, actually, no, it's not okay to experience sexism, racism, discrimination in the workplace. And so we're going to call it out and say, this is what it is. And I think we're seeing that, that pattern increase more and more. And people are saying, well, if I'm not if I'm not going to get treated the way I want to here, the job market's really good. I can go and do that somewhere else where I'm not going to experience that. Why would I stick around and uh, and experience that type of behaviour? So it's forcing businesses to have to to have to act on some of the things that perhaps they've overlooked in the past. Yeah, and what do you care about? What do you care deeply about, Martin? It's it's going to sound really twee, I know that, but I the the, mo- the biggest motivating factor for me is people. Like I've always, particularly in the teams I've had, I've always really cared about the people in my care and genuinely want to create a, a nice environment for them to work in, so that they. I would never want somebody to have to experience some of the things that I did early on in my career. 
I would much prefer it if somebody could come into their job and just you know enjoy what they do, have a great time, and deliver great stuff. And so, the the thing that really matters to me is being able to create an environment where the people I work with get to enjoy what they do every day without fear of discrimination. I guess. <laughs> I had um, a really terrible experience when I first started work and, um, you know, in those days when you weren't allowed to see any notes that your manager had written about you or your inter- your, the person that was interviewing you, it was, it was one of those. And when, it, and when GDPR sort of came out and said, oh, you can actually have a look at your notes, it was like, um, not that bright. Uh, nice legs, though. Let's give her a job. Uh, let's give her a go, something like that. I ended up being that person's boss about five years later, which was, <laughs> which was, which was fun. And like you, I chose the I chose the kindness path. Uh, but I've experienced a lot of that actually. And 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 you know, I would I always think about I would hate my daughter's twenty one and about to enter the work space. And when I you know when we think about our precious children or our nieces or nephews, you know, we want them to enter a workplace that. Um, is is positive and fair and equitable, really. Tell me, Martin, about um, gender equality. It's, uh, I'm really interested in this. I know that you improved gender balance at the body shop, I think it was, at senior level. Tell me how you did that. Um, I can't take sole credit for doing that, by the way. That wasn't just my <laughs> team of people responsible for that. I just I was, I was one of many um, involved in that initiative. But one of the major drivers it was taking some of the approach we've just talked about you know body one of the things i was really proud about at working with body shop is the ceo there was excellent um the board were incredibly receptive and forward thinking and really up for being challenged that they created a culture where it was okay to you know have perhaps more challenging conversations and hold the mirror up and were really keen and strove to do better so it's far easier than some of the previous organizations I'd worked in where you'd have to, you know, put a really compelling business case together to do that type of stuff. So they were very good at removing some of those barriers. Um, some of it was trying new things. So we were able to do some audit work to understand where some of the gaps or hidden barriers were in the organization. We were able to, um, as we were growing and diversifying part of the business portfolio, use that more data-driven approach to talent management, which meant we could, you know, in a far more equitable way, promote people within. So they had a very good culture of promoting from within the organization. And it'll be no great surprise that given the type of organization it is and the customer base and the product that they sell, that over 70% of the population were women. So we had people in the organization. It's just at the time when I first started, there wasn't as many at senior level. And so by taking those two approaches of learning, auditing, or three, actually learning, auditing, and putting the right talent framework in, we were able to um, remove some unintended barriers that existed and create equity of opportunity. And it was so nice to see some really good and talented people just start to flourish in those roles. And they're still going on to do amazing things at the moment. So I watch from the outside with a lot of pride. Yeah. And Martin, a lot of my male middle-aged friends are in a bit of a panic at the moment and we have lots of debates about it's not fair and why do why we feel now we're being discriminated discriminated against because the gender balance isn't right in the organization so if you're female then you'll get a job regardless of your um talent how how what, what response would you give to my male middle-aged friends 
I always think it's a really interesting point of view. And genuinely, I have really tried to seek to understand what's going on for people there. Because what's interesting, the, 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 the root cause of a lot of this type of response or behavior is fear. People are frightened around the, the, you know, the impact on me. What's, what's that going to mean for me? Am I now being disadvantaged or put at an unfair disadvantage? And the reality is, factually, no. Um, because it's not about taking anything away from people. It's just about giving it to other people. <laughs> so it's not an either-or situation. It's an and. Um, interestingly, we're not, you know, we we never advocate for um, uh, what's where positive discrimination. So we wouldn't say, you know, you're underrepresented, you need to go and hire a woman for this role or um, somebody from a different ethnicity or sexual orientation because you're underrepresented. What we would say is make the process fair and equitable and the best person will get the job. And what we've seen through that kind of more data-led approach is that people do invariably, you know, it's representative of the makeup of society. More than half of the UK population are women. <laughs> so statistically, from a talent point of view alone, more than half of the talent will be women. So it's not about taking someone's job. It's about if there's fairness there and you're the best person for the job and you're going through a fair and equitable process, you'll get the job. So in, in a sector that's currently male-dominated, would you say the best thing for, for leaders in that space to do is to reach out to where women are, make sure that their application in adverts doesn't, isn't, isn't masculine, overly masculine, for example? Is that the sort of things you would recommend? Absolutely. And I think one of the things is to really examine the root cause of why. So some of the things you've just spoken about there are classic examples of things we see in organisations. But sometimes it can be brand or reputation that prevents people. Um, It could be that the application process is quite onerous. It could be that they know other people that perhaps haven't had a great experience. So there's different things that need to take place depending on what the root cause is. So if it's a PR or media issue, then obviously that's a marketing exercise you've got to work on. If it's your application process and you're getting a good level of application from diverse candidates, but they're not making it through, it's something in your recruitment process. So it's different tactics depending on the business. But the the key thing to do is to look at why in the first place, I would say. Brilliant. And Martin, what's 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 next for you? Where are you taking Unleashed? What's going? What's, if I come back to you in three years' time, what are you going to be doing? What exciting stuff? I hope we're doing more of what we're doing now, but with with more and more organisations. And you know, the honest answer is, I don't. I couldn't sit here in good faith and say I know exactly what three years will look like. We're learning all the time, just like everybody else. And what the business looks like today versus where it was two years ago. You know, it was. It was me and the dog two years ago, and now we're um, a much bigger team with, you know, some incredible clients that we feel really lucky and privileged to work with. And so doing more of that will be what keeps me excited, I think. And where, where do you see the world of recruitment going in the future, Martin? What's your predictions? I think there's going to be a few interesting shifts with recruitment. I think... You know, there's a few external factors now that are going to be hitting businesses that they're now having to grapple with. So we're seeing, you know, there's a good potential. We're going to have a global recession. It's not something any of us want, but the numbers are suggesting that Um, there'll be impacts on the back of the pandemic that, you know, different uh, parts of the globe are having to react or or, or pick up with where we've, you know, the deferred um, things or financial problems and things like that. Um, And 
the acceleration of automation, AI, um, data is changing the makeup of the workforce. And we've also got multi- more generations in the workplace now than we had, you know, even 10, 15 years ago. Um, memory serves when I was looking at the last piece of research, it was about five generations we've currently got in the workforce. And as life expectancy increases because healthcare progresses, therefore that extends over time. So recruiters have got their work cut out over the next few years, I would say, because you've got a, um, an aging workforce staying in work longer you've got a younger generation coming into the workplace with different demands to be a big priority for businesses whereas historically i think the shift's been more on recruitment we've seen um so recruiters are going to have things to support internal mobility much more and also for groups and demographics into organizations so um going to be an recruit I think over the next few years. Yeah, interesting times. And and Martin, what what how how would your family and friends describe you? Do you think you strike me as um someone who really cares and someone who's really passionate about helping others? And you've also got a, a bit of a mischievous look. I know that none of our listeners can see you; they can only hear you. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Uh, I forget that. Uh, that's always a really difficult question um, to answer, but I would hope that they would describe me as someone passionate about what we do, that cares and um, hopefully is compassionate. That would that would be what I'd hope they'd describe me as. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Listen, Martin, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks for allowing me a safe space to share to share some of the challenges that we hear and and some of the things that I've experienced. And I'll um, follow with keen interest your work. I'm sure that lots of people, as time goes on, um, will will hopefully find you and find out about Unleashed um, because I'm sure it will help them in the future. Thanks so much, Martin. Oh, thanks, Caroline. It's been a pleasure. Really loved that episode. It was just great. Martin's such a lovely person and the work that he and Unleashed do is incredible. We'll attach all the links to their website in the show notes if you want to check them out. So thanks again for listening. We really appreciate your support and make sure to leave us a review. We love to hear your feedback. See you next time.